Welcome to the Emetophobia Podcast. Today on the podcast, I had Marissa on. She is 28 years old. She has a daughter and husband. Um, she is a two times synovial sarcoma cancer survivor. I maybe botched that name, but I really tried there. I'm really sorry, Marissa. Um, she is an amputee. She likes to run marathons, which is super, super cool. And she also has a Facebook page that you guys can check her out on at Marissa's Sarcoma Journey. Um, it's just kind of a page about her journey and, and uh, what she had to deal with through all of her cancer and everything. So um, please make sure to come listen to the episode. It's a very, very good episode. Um, it just brings light to a lot of things that we don't really get to hear about very often. So um, also make sure to go follow her over at mismanaged underscore Marissa. Marissa is spelled M-A-R-I-S-A. Um, make sure to go show some love. Reach out to her if you've ever had any of these problems or have any family members who have something like this. And uh, I'm sure she would love to talk to you. So let's get into the episode. Thanks for listening. In the car today, huh? Yeah, uh, my daughter, uh, my, my, my sister's watching my daughter. So this is the only place where I can be uh, in a quiet environment. I know how it is. I do the same thing sometimes. <laughs> you know, people are just like, you're in your car. I'm like, yeah, it's nice out here. <laughs> it is, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So um, let's get a little backstory on you. Where are you from? Maybe um, like just kind of general background of your life and childhood maybe. Yeah, for sure. So my name's Marissa. I am 28. I live in Austin, Texas. Um, uh, pretty normal childhood, like two great parents. Um, I'm the oldest. I have two younger sisters. Uh, pretty boring. The smart kid. Uh, just a pretty normal life. Uh, adulthood is where things kind of get more interesting. Um, I'll probably get into it, but um, I have a daughter. Um, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We live in a house. Um, but I am a two-time cancer survivor and also an amputee. So that's, that's the spicy part of my life. Yes. Yes. I saw that on your Instagram. I definitely wanted to yeah. bring that up for sure. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you want to share about that? I guess, how did that all come to be? How did that happen? Yeah, it's actually quite a crazy story. So um, I had a, like a bump on my foot since I was like 17 and it was like really tiny, like super small. Um, I went to like a podiatrist. I did an x-ray. They're like, no, it's good. It's like a cyst. Don't worry about it had it for years, honestly. Um, I got pregnant when I was 24 and that bump like grew crazily. It went from like a dime to a golf ball, like in a few short months. I was like, oh, something's not right. Um, but since I was pregnant, they were like, let's wait until after you have the baby, we'll do some tests, but we're pretty darn sure it's a cyst. So I uh, found a podiatrist about five weeks after I had my daughter, they did my foot surgery. They're like, we sent it for a biopsy. Don't worry, like 100% cyst. No way it's anything else. I was like, sounds great. Um, a week later, they're like, yeah, we need to talk to you. Um, it's actually cancer in your foot. Like never heard of that before in my life. Like you hear lung cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, but in your foot, I'm like, I don't know what this is. Um, so I went to um, an orthopedic surgeon and also an oncologist. And they're like, definitely can't save your foot. It's gone. Um, you have to do six rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and then you should be good. They gave me like a 60% chance of like, it shouldn't come back. Um, but it was about two years later, it ended up in my lungs. So I had two lung surgeries as well. And it's, 
honestly scary because when um, any sort of cancer metastasizes to any other part of your body, you're actually considered a stage four cancer patient. So that was a little bit frightening hearing those words, but everything yeah. is good now. So hopefully it stays that way. Good. Yeah. No, that's insane. I, I, I yeah. don't even know what I would do in that situation. That's insane. It's, it's sort of like a flight or flight. You're like, um, I don't know. And it's the weirdest sort of sense of humor I have. But before I got the news that I had cancer, I was talking with my mom and I was like, wouldn't it be so crazy? Like what a great way to combat my emetophobia by having cancer. Cause chemo definitely makes you throw up and then boom, I got it. I was like, holy crap, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to touch on that and kind of talk about um, maybe um, early on how the emetophobia affected you kind of where it came from, where you, where you kind of picked it up from, I guess, like, where did that seem to come from? Okay. So hold on, get yourself seated in. Cause it's a, it's a journey. Um, Let's hear it. Yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> you've been dealing with this for like 10 years I've been reading. So mm -hmm. I've been dealing with it for about 18 years. Um, it, it's really weird. Cause I, I've listened to all your podcasts I, before I get into it. Love your show. I love what you're doing. I love the positivity with it. Um, so I've listened to everyone's stories and everyone has, you know, different kind of versions of it. So I would say I had a really bad stomach bug in sixth grade, which was like almost 18 years ago. It's insane. Um, but after that like incident, I was completely fine. Like I didn't have any of my like OCD behaviors. I didn't like, I wasn't afraid if, if I got sick, if anyone else got sick, but then something changed. Like you were talking about, like it kind of lays dormant. So like something changed when I went to college, boom, I started like not touching my food. I was severely underweight. Um, like I, I couldn't even drive my car for a bit. I couldn't go to school anymore. Like, I mean, everything just stopped. I just couldn't function as a human being. Um, so I went to multiple therapists, different things, uh, found some different medications and I kind of got back to, um, a sort of normal way of living. Um, I was able to like, uh, finish college, get a job, but I still wasn't like a hundred percent. Like there were things that I was doing, like um, I'm a really bad with my car. Um, even now, like if I don't feel good, I have to have someone pick me up and then we have to have two other people come and get my car. Like it, it's a mess. And like, you know, being it, as a mom and an adult, it's like kind of, it just makes me sad. I have to inconvenience people with this phobia. Cause I, I don't want to do that. Um, but it was at the end of, um, 2019 where I was like, okay, I need to, I, I want to feel like I, I was functioning, but just barely. So it was in 20, the end of 2019, that I found a therapist that actually like jived with me and we started, I would say more of CBT therapy, not yeah, a little bit of exposure, but mostly CBT, changing my way of thinking. And that really helped me, like not only am I functioning, but I'm doing more than what I thought I could do. So I'm at a so much better place in my life because I'm, I know what the worst is. So I don't want to ever get back. And I know I, I'm at the point where I know myself so well, I know how to stop it from getting to that point. So it's really like understanding, like, I think you have to live with this phobia for a long time to understand like what your triggers are, where the deep end is, you know, what you could kind of press yourself on. Yeah, no, that's insane. Um, yeah. So let's get into uh, what it was like having cancer and emetophobia at the same time. How did that all work out? Uh, shockingly, this is going to sound crazy, but my emetophobia was probably at its best during uh, cancer. It's kind of like when you're in a life or death situation, throwing up doesn't seem that bad anymore. Call me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and this was the first time that 
I'm sure a lot of metaphobias go like uh, go through this, like trying to find like anti-medic medication that doctors won't give you because they're like, you don't have anything. So it, it kind of gave me a weird comfort knowing that I had any medication at my disposal because I was going through the worst things. Like they're, you know, putting poison in my body. So like I had any anti-medic at my thing, any sort of pain medications. So that gave me comfort. And honestly, like knock on wood or whatever, I was totally fine. Did not get sick once. Um, I did have one like dry heaving episode, but I hadn't like eaten in like 36 hours and had no fluid in me. That was kind of on me. Didn't feel the greatest though. So I gave myself a little break on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I was so focused on like not dying and trying to figure out how to walk in a new leg that the metaphobia didn't even go in my mind, which I'm thankful for, because if I would have been like scared and like, like, I just, I, I don't know what I would have done if my metaphobia said, no, you can't do chemo because you may get sick. Like, yeah. I mean, that's really a life or death type of thing. Like I just didn't have a choice. Right. Yeah. I, I was kind of thinking that too. I'm just like, you know, if, if I had cancer or metaphobia, I think that I would probably be focusing on the cancer a lot more than, than the metaphobia at yeah. that moment. But it's kind of also a way of just saying like, look at what I can make it through. Like that is, is not even a part of my life anymore. If I can make it through this, you know, that's insane. Yeah. So no, that's, that's really good. What, what is it like? Um, missing a leg. Like I've just, I've never, <laughs> never met somebody who's an amputee. It's just so crazy. Uh, it's weird. Um, it took me like, oh gosh, like about seven months to learn how to walk again. I'm a below the knee. So luckily I still have my knee, which is a huge help. It helps me having one extra more body part. Um, but honestly, when I uh, learned how to walk, uh, the only really goal I had was really to learn how to run. Cause I was like running that, that was sort of the thing that helped me the most of my metaphobia was like getting into exercise and like, you know, getting out that, you know, anxious energy by running and exercising. So I was like, oh man, like I was really sad. I was like, that's the thing I'm going to miss the most running. Um, but luckily once I got walking down, I was able to find a company to grant me a running blade. That's not fucking your insurance. Um, but then I was like, you know, hitting the road again. Like I have a cool blade. Like honestly, like kids stop me. They're like, oh, that's a really cool robot leg. And like, I love the questions. And, you know, I put like designs on my leg. I had like an office leg. I had a Freddie Mercury leg. I have a sparkly leg now. Like I embrace it. Like I, it's, it's a part of me. I love it. It's a great community. Um, yeah. and it just, it kind of makes me a little bit more unique, you know? No, that's really cool. I definitely <laughs> agree for sure. That's kind of how I feel about my metaphobia in a way. I'm just like, it's what makes me me now. It's like, that's mm -hmm. one of my little thing. I can be like, yeah, I have this weird thing. It's just a quirk I have, you know, just kind of came with me as a, as a kid. But um, so um, you said that you're married to your high school sweetheart and you have a child, right? So mm -hmm. how supportive are both of them for you and your metaphobia and the cancer and everything else? Like how, how supportive have they been over all of it? They've been super good. It took my husband a bit to kind of under, because he doesn't, strange enough doesn't really have anxiety so he's just like what is that like how, you're scared you know getting sick um he's like grown up with me because like we got together when like we were 16 and 17 and now we're like 28 30 or whatever so he's been like growing up with me so he oh man I think he knows my metaphobia even better than I do like he knows like that look I get or he and if I start kind of fidgeting he's like okay I already know what's happening so he can he can you know catch those cues and he's really good with our daughter like if I'm having you know a panic attack he's like you know go lay in the room I got her like I'll do bedtime so very supportive. Um, again, very lucky. My daughter hasn't actually gotten sick. Um, she's four. Um, but you know, I've been talking with my therapist and like every parent has like their thing, you know, it like even like a relationship, like, you know, like, oh, like I'll take out the trash or I'll clean up the kitchen. Like everyone has their roles. So like, you know, if she has a cold, I got it, you know, I'll clean up the house. But like, you know, if she gets sick, that's my husband's duty. So like mm -hmm. that, that's not like a weakness on my part. It's just, we're taking turns. It's, you know, a 50 50 relationship so I don't see that as a as a bad thing anymore that used to be like man like I want to be able to do that but if I don't 
that's okay because I do other things and I could still take care of my daughter. I still go to work. So it's kind of that balance you have to find that I've yeah. had to find. But they've been super great. My mom is super great. Uh, probably probably the greatest one. She's the one that actually found that I had emetophobia. She researched it. She showed me all these, you know, forums and groups and stuff like that. So without her, I wouldn't even know that this existed, honestly. Did things change when you found out like a word for it and what it actually was? I would say so, but not in a good way. Um, Because I, it was probably when I was like a junior or senior in high school. And like, you really get sucked into those forms. That's why I really like this podcast, because we talk about emetophobia, but not how it hinders us. Like all, don't get me wrong. I love the Instagram groups. I love the Facebook groups, but it's always like these panic posts. Like everything is like panic, panic, panic. And it's like, it kind of feeds into your own emetophobia. You're like, oh God, like they went to this restaurant. Like they could be states away. And I'm like, oh my God, they went to this place. I'm not going to go to this place. Or, oh my God, you know, they're sick, you know, five hours away. What if I, like, it just, it plays all these tricks with you. So it's nice and refreshing to hear like, okay, here are all these people that have emetophobia and here's how they're still functioning. And like, they're still living their lives and it's okay. Like you're going to make it. So, yeah, no, I definitely wanted to do that with this podcast to say like, you know, it's, it's not always a negative thing. Like, let's just like be aware. That's it. Like if it's good or bad, at least we're aware. And we just kind of tell our stories and we talk about it just like it's a normal friend to friend conversation. You know, I don't want to yes. be like, so what are the debilitating things of all the, you know, it's just like, no, I just want to hear yeah. like, what are you doing to get over it? What's your life like now? Like all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the pregnancy. How was the pregnancy and the emetophobia for you? Is that pretty tough? Um, luckily I did not get morning sick. It was unplanned. So I wasn't expecting it. Um, but Honestly, my body is really nice to me. I didn't get morning sickness. Um, the birth was really great. So I, I think my mental health in a different way was not the greatest, but my metaphobia was okay. So luckily that, and honestly, it didn't affect me that I'm actually trying to have another child. Um, cool. So it didn't, didn't stop me. So good deal. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. know a lot of people have a big problem with that. And was it, was it yeah. like a, a thing for you like leading up to it like were you um just worried in general about having a kid in the in the beginning of it all oh yes because I was thinking oh my gosh like if I can't take care of myself with my emetophobia how am I going to take care of another human being like that really made me scared but I know you're like a really big proponent of exposure therapy and like my daughter like with every formula she spit up so I got so used to spit up it doesn't even bother me anymore it could be all over me don't even care <laughs> obviously I can't I can't I can't catch that but it, you know before I couldn't even look at it. I was like oh absolutely not but it just happened every single day I'm like okay this is just what it is so I you know I got it becomes got easier it. it definitely becomes easy I, I I lived with a three and a four year old that my my ex had two kids and they both were very prone to being sick. Like the, the girl would like start crying and she'd get very anxious. And then she would end up like getting sick because she was just crying mm -hmm. so much. And then um, the little boy was very touchy with food. So he, I think he might've been a little bit on the spectrum. So I think some of the foods that he was, mm -hmm. he was trying to eat were a little bit weird for him. And so I would try to get him to try new things like eggs or like, you know, scrambled eggs and stuff or like carrots or stuff. And he would just get sick. Like as soon as he'd eat it, I'm like, geez, man, like I didn't think you're gonna get sick <laughs> everywhere, man. Jeez. <laughs> So, no, that's crazy. Um, what are some emetophobia wins you've had lately or in the past? I mean, whenever something real big that you're just like, I didn't think I could do that, but I did it. Um, well, chemo was a great one. That's always a fun <laughs> I, one. That's um, a given for <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and just in case any emetophobias uh, or emetophobes going through cancer, you can get through chemo without throwing up. So that's a positive, I guess. Yes. Um, but I would say a lot of the bigger ones that I've been working on with my therapist is like, I'm um, going to like um, restaurants with my daughter alone. 
kind of being that responsible dog, not only eating it, because eating at restaurants is difficult, I would say for a lot of people, just because you don't know if you're going to feel sick and like driving is a weird thing for me. So it's really kind of tackling two birds with one stone, being able to eat there, still take care of my child, still drive home, like that sort of independence that I think sometimes I lack with emetophobia. So doing things like that with my daughter alone has been a, a really good, like, okay, like I got this, like I'm not as like incapable as I think I am. Yeah. What is it about driving that bothers you so much? I had the same problem when I first had emetophobia really bad. I, because when I have panic attacks, like I don't like my, my brain shuts down. So I'd hate to be like in the midst of drive. Like I'm afraid I'm going to hurt myself or hurt others. Or like, I don't want to pull on the side of the road to be in a dangerous situation. Um, and I think those are the kind of like the main things. Like, I just don't know, like if I feel sick, I just don't know what to do in the car. Cause like I'm driving this huge, heavy machinery. I don't want to like get into an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, I just get really nervous around cars. Just don't really like, if I don't have to drive, I won't, but I'm trying to push myself. That's one of the biggest things I'm working on with my therapist. Like, nope, you're going to drive at night. You're going to go here. You're going to go there. I'm like, okay, okay. One, one little step at a time, you know? Yeah. And I I have to say too, I did make a, one of my first podcasts was about that whole driving thing where it was, um, taking things in very small steps and then reassuring yourself as you go, like get to the next road sign, next stop sign. Okay. We're going to go one more mile. Yeah. Just keep going. And like, don't give yourself like an ending destination. Just give yourself a little tiny destination at a time. And then it makes things a lot easier for sure. Um, I think my biggest thing with the driving thing was that my emetophobia kind of stemmed from being in a car when this all happened. So for me, Mm -hmm. I then associated riding in vehicles as like a super negative thing. And it was like, I'm out of control. Can't control what the driver's doing. If he gets sick, I'm screwed. I can't like, and I remember when this all happened with me, when the emetophobia first started, I got dropped off like 35 miles away from my house. Cause we were going all the way to where I live now, which is a couple hours away from where I used to live. And so I had to call my mom at like seven in the morning to have, have her come pick me up from some random town. I'm just like, I'm at McDonald's in this random town. I'm so, she's like, why? What the hell happened? I was like, I just don't even want to talk about it. It's just too much right now. Like, so yeah, I, I totally get the car thing and it, it does get better though, for sure. It just takes mm-hmm. some time. Cause now I yeah. drive to work every day by myself, go to work. All, I mean, I don't even have a problem with it anymore. And I yeah. do still get, get nauseous in cars, but it's more or less just like, all right. I just, you know, I, I, I tend to think about why I'm nauseous more now. I'm just like, what did I, I ate a whole bag of cherries, probably why my stomach hurts, you know, or like I just drank mm-hmm. a ton of tea for the last out, you know, it's always a reason, you know, it's never just because I'm sick, you know, so definitely. So um, how has your emetophobia held you back over the years? When you said there was the um, driving and the restaurants, is there anything else that was really big in your life that kind of held you back from? Yeah, I would say um, probably my college experience. Um, I like I had to withdraw from the college I was at a really great college. Um, I went to online school, I really wish I could have like pushed through and like completed it at the college that I started at because I was kind of like my dream college. Um, but just like, I, it was just a bad kind of mental environment and kind of, it just it, it wasn't meant to be at that point. Um, but you know, I still finished school. So that was still an accomplishment in itself. But um, everything has gotten better. Like I, I just man, there was just times when I just couldn't leave my house. I couldn't drive. Like it was frustrating for everybody around me, not only me, but like it it really impacts, you know, your family and friends. And, you know, then like your family starts thinking, oh, well, I can't take her out because what if she has a panic attack, then we have to leave. Like it's, oh, it's so difficult. So now I think my family's in a place where like, okay, like we can take her if she has a problem. Like, I know you, I I think you had said like, you kind of go to your car and kind of like decompress or kind of like take yourself away from the situation. I've been getting so much better at that. We're like, at times before I would have to leave entirely, but now if I just give myself a second, I can come back. And I think that's a yeah. huge improvement. Always remember too, that adrenaline rush of the, of the anxiety attack only lasts for 10 minutes. So as long as you can make it through the 10 minutes, you usually start coming back down after that and makes it a lot easier to deal with. Cause you're just like, all right, 
give myself 10 minutes here. I'm going to calm down. I'm going to relax. Yeah. I'm just going to breathe. And then you're, you go back to point, kind of what you're doing and you feel like you're kind of reset. So that definitely helps me a lot too. Let's yeah. jump back to um, hospital life for a second. What would you mm-hmm. give for some advice to people who are either afraid of hospitals or like have to go to the hospital? Cause I have to go to the hospital tomorrow is my, I don't have to go to the hospital, but I have to go in for a, my first checkup in like 10 years. And it's kind of terrifying for me. So I haven't, I have to go get, I think some blood work done and I have a pain in my like lower right side that I'm going to get checked out and stuff. It's been there for years. So, um, but I'm terrified. And what would you give for some advice to people who are afraid of doctors? Oh man. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, usually like if someone were to get sick around, you know, that you're probably not going to catch it. Like you're in for your own thing, kind of just focus on your own. <laughs> we know what's going on in your kind of personal health journey. Um, but honestly, like hospitals are one of the cleanest places you could possibly like everything is sanitized, everything. Like, I mean, we're, we're dealing, I mean, everyone wears gloves, there's masks. Like, I mean, that's probably the best place to be. Um, yeah. And honestly, like another comforting thing for me is like, if for the worst things happens and you get sick, you're with doctors, you're with nurses, they can help you. They have medicine. So like, I mean, it's honestly the best, but I, I, I've grown to, I don't want to say love hospitals, but I've, I've been in them so often that it's almost like kind of like a second home. So like, it, it, I feel comfortable there now. Um, but I do hope everything's okay with you, but it's going to be fine. I've had tons of blood work. Um, I've never gotten sick at a hospital. And like I said, really sterile environment. That's probably the best place to be <laughs> better than th- any restaurant you go to. <laughs> I think that my biggest scare is when I was a kid, I got some allergy stuff figured out and they, I remember the doctor came up and he was a foreign doctor and he said, this is going to be very unpleasant. That was what he said to me. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then he jabs this big metal thing up my nose, like to my brain. And it was just that instantly it was like such a put off. I'm like, I do not like doctors anymore. They terrify me. Like I just wasn't ready for that. And he just kind of just did it. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So yeah, I think that's where my fear comes from. So I'm just, I'm worried about like, you know, things I can't control. It's always what it is with emetophobia. It's just out of control stuff. So I think I just need to kind of push past it and get through it and just do it. And once my girlfriend's going to come with me, she took the day off work too. So she's very supportive in that, in that way. So, um, let's hear some advice for other people with emetophobia, if you have any. Um, I would say at least for my personal journey, um, playing the delay game has really helped. Um, I was, I don't know if you've been on medication in the past, but I've, I've been on so many different kinds. Um, but I really like leaned on my medicine a lot. They use such crutches as opposed to kind of like working through the emetophobia. So me and my therapist were like, hey, we need to play the delay game. Like, okay, if you feel sick, it's not an SOS always. Like instead of taking your Zofran or your Xanax or whatever you have, like sit with it, sit with the uncomfortable. I think you had mentioned that. Oh, I, oh it's mm-hmm. like the worst thing in the world. Um, but having to sit with that and then, you know, okay, so, you know, I watched one episode of The Office and I'm still feeling bad now as bad as it was before. So we keep on pushing, keep on pushing the standards of what your brain's telling you and what your body's telling you, but, you know, kind of making those like good associations. Like, okay, like I didn't feel good. I didn't take medication and I still didn't get sick. So not because before I'd always, you know, um, associate, okay, I took the medication. That's why I wasn't sick or I did this behavior. So that's why, so I need to kind of break those connections between because what I'm doing and getting sick have no correlation whatsoever. Like me not mm-hmm. touching that pizza doesn't mean I'm not going to get sick. Me touching the pizza doesn't mean I'm not going to get sick. So there's just, I need to kind of break those fallacies in my mind. So that's kind of what I've been working on. Um, but the, yeah. the delay game has worked for me, kind of sitting with it uncomfortable and knowing it's not the end of the world and you're going to make it through. Yeah, that's a really good advice for sure. And I think 
uh, our brain is like I say, is kind of like a muscle. So we have to train it. So it's like when you mm-hmm. um, train it in those negative ways, it just continues learning the negative ways. So it's like, you almost have to unravel all that learning and then get back to the normal ways again. And I, 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 um, I think it was Dara Lovett said this. She said to think like a non-emetophobe. <laughs> think like what would yes. what would my husband do or what would my girlfriend do if, if she was in this situation and she doesn't have emetophobia, what would she do here? And just kind of mm-hmm. like follow along and just do what they do. You know, and that's kind of what I've been kind of mirroring. Like if my girlfriend, like, I don't know, forgot, she drops something on the floor and then picks it up and washes it off and eats it. Like I would never do something like that. But um, in her situation, I'm just like, yeah, I might as well try it. Why not? And then just kind of just do something crazy, like out of the realm of what you would usually do. And then it just kind of retrains your brain to mm-hmm. do like, kind of crazy things that you think are crazy. You know what I mean? Um, So therapy wise, how did you find your therapist? Was it, um, did you find somebody who kind of like specializes in emetophobia or was it just a general anxiety therapist? I have, I have such a good story for you. Let's hear Um, it. Let's hear it. (laughs) So I originally, um, I've been to so many therapists. It's disgusting. Um, I started back in college when they kind of got out of control. Um, and I found like a, a student who was like working towards his psychiatry degree. So he was like really great. Like he was like, he didn't know what it was, but he was researching with me. We did like the exposure hierarchy. I'm pretty sure it's what you did, but I did it with a therapist, um, you know, mm-hmm. went through like words and then like picture associations and like sounds and then video. Um, I wasn't really like in it at that time. Like I wasn't really trying my hardest. So I went a couple more years and then the amount of therapists I went to, that had no idea what it was, but that, that, that wasn't the scary part. It's when I told them my story, they're like, but you did it. You didn't get sick. So like you've accomplished your goal. And I was like, I don't think you understand what I just said before that. So um, kind of like a disconnect there. But my current therapist, you're not going to believe this, but she's actually a recovering emetophobe herself. So she became a therapist. She did her own two rounds of therapy when she was in college and stuff like that. So being able to talk to somebody who like literally understands what is going through your brain has been just a complete 360 from all the other therapists I've had. So um, it's been absolutely phenomenal. Like we do kind of like a combination of like CBT and exposure. Uh, we have like little homework assignments every week and it's stuff that I pick that I think it's important in my life, uh, which I think is like every person has their own kind of quirk that they want to fix. I would hone in on that. Um, so that's what we've been doing a lot of driving stuff, a lot of things with my daughter that I think I really want to improve on. So, like I said, have, I, I, I think it's going to be hard to find a therapist that also has emetophobia, but it, find somebody that at least deals with phobias or OCD because if you go to just like a rant I I think that was my problem was going to like random like you know life coaches and like just random therapists I had no idea how to like deal with phobias so try to find somebody who at least knows what it is that's a good starting point no for sure that's that's very good I uh when I when I went through therapy it was very hard for me to find anybody who specialized the one I did get she said she specialized in kind of phobias and OCD disorders but then when we had talked it was more um just me like bitching about my relationship a bunch of times and then not actually figuring out why my emetophobia was so bad. But at the time, like the emetophobia wasn't affecting me as it used to affect me so much. Cause I had been mm-hmm. so like exposed to the kids exposed to driving so much. I kind of became like the breadwinner of the family. So I had to just kind of do it. There was no, like, mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything else, but just do it. So I had to deal with it. And that was like kind of my biggest way of exposure therapy, but um, the therapy helped. It just, at, after, at the end there, she almost was just like, do you really need therapy? Like, cause I'm just answering all of her questions as we go along. Mm-hmm. And like, she just really wasn't helping me much. So I kind of ended up just quitting that and focusing more on my self-growth and just what I could do myself. Mm-hmm. But, but it's been, it's been all right. I mean, it's not terrible, but um, do you have any types of um, uh, like safe foods or anything or any like uh, weird little ticks that you have like that or like checking dates or anything? Like, let's just, let's just go over those a little bit. Cause I always like to hear what, yeah. what people have. Yeah. The food thing is tough. Like 
anytime you post a video about like, oh, do you have this? Almost a thousand percent of the time, like, yep, I do that same exact. It's it's so crazy to me that like I'm thinking there's no one else, there's no way that no one else does this. Literally hundreds of people do it. I'm like, that's insane. But yeah, expression dates are a big one. Um, I know you just gone vegan. I actually went the opposite way. Um, just because I was becoming so restricted in my food that I was only eating like a handful of things like spaghetti crackers like it was becoming almost too refined I was like I need a little bit of meat or something so um but luckily I I think that's also an exposure in itself because you know I know people get you know kind of picky about like is my meat cooked all the way is my chicken cooked all the way so at least it, I think that's a bit of exposure therapy for me in a sense um but I do make sure like my husband's like make it well done and it's like one step from burnt that's when you know it's done so like we make sure that it's very well cooked um but yeah so um, and also I don't like eating with my hands. That's another thing that I picked up over the years. Not the best habit. Um, and I, like, I wash my hands just fine, but I'm like, well, if I just don't touch it, that's like an extra precaution on my end. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but I do, uh, you just did one recently about like smelling cups before you always do that. I always smell a cup, always smell a plate. Or if I'm like, that doesn't look like I could take it out of the dishwasher. I'm like, let me just wash it again, just to be sure. You know, you yeah. never know. Um, like maybe there's some yeah. soap on it that I didn't see. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Just, crazy crazy stuff um but yeah i think those are the biggest the biggest things yeah just the expiration dates uh making sure my meat's super cooked um i am picky about like i'm not super food adventure so i'm also trying to work on as well but i have been eating like more salads and like raw food which is also it it's really this weird juxtaposition because you would think amatophobes would be like the most healthiest people but it's actually quite the opposite because we have so many safe foods because it's like you know vegetables are super great but they're prone to like listeria like you have the salads and like the vegetables and the fruit to make sure they're clean very well so a lot of people I, I know you had mentioned like you were like you know living off crackers because like we know that's like you know in a package and safe and like it's not going to get contaminated so honestly eating healthier is one of the harder things I've had to work on over the years so probably you for being vegan because that's that's a tough one for I was vegetarian for a couple of years and that was hard yeah. And I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I am a raw foods vegan. So I oh, eat no, okay. no gluten, no processed sugars, <laughs> no processed foods at all, just fruits and vegetables. That's it. And mm -hmm. the occasional sushi. I still have sushi. I eat that a lot That's actually good. now because I've been so afraid of sushi my whole life that now that mm -hmm. I actually like it, it's like, and I don't get sick from it. I eat it all the time now. So it's like, I'm just pushing through and I'm like, I'm going to eat sushi. I don't give a shit yeah. what anybody says. Like it's my diet. So, but yeah, I like, I have my smoothie right here from this morning. So um, I just put a bunch of fruits and vegetables together every morning, mix them all up in my little blender thing, put them in my cup. And I just got my, that's like my meals every day. It's all I eat. So, and it, I've been eating a lot more than I've ever eaten. And I've been gaining weight lately because of it, because like, like I said, I'll eat an entire bag of cherries and then I'll eat like four bananas, two oranges. Then I'll eat a whole nother bag of cherries two hours later at the end of the night. And like, I, I just go to Meyer a lot and just pick up a bunch of fruit right before I go to work. Cause I work night shifts. Mm -hmm. So I'll just get like, you know, 20, $30 worth of food and just put it in my car. Cause it's cold here in Michigan. So it just stays cold in there and gets like frozen over the next couple of days. And I'll just eat blueberries and strawberries and everything mm -hmm. I possibly can. And it's just been like, my body has never been happier. I swear. It's I'm just sure. amazing yeah. without the gluten, without the sugars, without all that stuff. Like I just have no pains. I have no, I wake up in the morning. I feel great drinking a ton of water, a ton of tea every day, no more coffee, no more caffeine. So it has just been, I'm actually the first time in my life. I'm fully straight edge, no tobacco, no weed, no drugs, no alcohol, nice. no nothing. Just 100 percent like pure i guess you could say it's amazing no so. that's awesome congratulations that's honestly a great achievement in itself that's really great well and, and kind of in um 
the whole cancer situation, I, I've had a lot of family members. My grandpa died of cancer. I've had a lot of cancer in my family. So mm-hmm. that's really what's been in my head a lot lately. And I've been watching a couple of documentaries about how like people have switched over to a fully raw vegan diet to kind of beat mm-hmm. their cancer. And so then I'm just like, you know, maybe if I just am healthy as possible, I can't get sick anymore. Like that's just my, my logic on it. And it's been really helping me get through the emetophobia too, to just say like, I'm just going to eat only healthy and I can't be sick. Just that simple. So, there you go. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, like you said too, though, I have been on the keto diet as well, where all I ate was meat, and bacon and cheese mm-hmm. and dairy every day as well. So I've been on both sides of the spectrum and I did like keto. I liked eating all the meat and all the like jerky and all the stuff. But I think with, with a lot of meats every day, you get a lot of salt. That was my problem. I think mm-hmm. I, I'm very susceptible to salt. If I have too much salt in my diet, it kind of hurts my heart. Like my chest gets a little pain in it. So yeah. that's been my biggest problem, but yeah. 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 So what's Texas like? I've never, I've never really been past Chicago, so I've never been in a warm state before. Um, well, I've lived here for like 14 years. I am originally from um, Indiana, kind of like the Chicago, Northwest Indiana area. Okay. Um, if you know where Gary, Indiana is, that's kind of where yep. I was. Um, yep. Yeah, not in Gary, just I was going to say, it's a rough place for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like the typical, like, you know, eight ounce cowboy hats. People are riding horses everywhere. It's it's pretty, I, I live in Austin, so it's more of a, a liberal type city, not as uh, conservative as the places around us. But um, I love the weather, uh, except for last year when there was like a snow, so I couldn't believe it. Like it was a snowstorm. And like up in Michigan, where you are in Indiana, like they have salt trucks, like we were prepared yeah. for snow here we are not prepared for snow so when there's any ice the whole city shuts down like it's insane like there could be like an inch of snow the city's it, it nope we're, we can't work today i'm like yeah. okay like i think we should invest in some ice like some salt trucks or something guys um but yeah i mean it's uh I, we have, like i think austin's like a really like hip you know we have lots of bars and lots of cool restaurants so um i love it here i don't, I don't plan on moving back ever i love i love the heat i love the summers um i don't miss the, the snow and the cold and the shoveling snow and hated all of it so i'm glad to be yeah. here i know you walk out the back door and slip on the ice and bash your back <laughs> on the ground it's like jesus man no i get that um i do have a, a really a weird question about I've, yeah. I've never never talked to anybody that's an amputee before do you have that phantom leg thing happen where you feel like you still have a leg even though you don't um not as bad as other people but it is really strange i do have these moments where i'm like wow um i don't know if you can see actually hold on so there's my leg okay on my fake one yeah so it's sparkly yeah yeah um so I, I lost my left leg so sometimes I, i'll tell my husband wow i really feel my left ankle right now and he'll look at me he's like what i was like it, i can feel like specific parts of my left leg that's because like when they uh, like the nerves at the end of my residual limb they're still there so my brain's like okay like we still have the nerves to your left foot but we don't it's not there anymore so sometimes they kind of like I guess get like poked or prodded. So I'm like, oh, there's my left ankle. There's my left toe. So, but it doesn't hurt. Oh, it's like kind of like a little jolts of like, uh, like sensation, then they kind of go away. So yeah. not too bad. Wow. Um, so you said that the cancer was in your foot itself, correct? Mm-hmm. Why did yeah. they have to cut so far up? Um, so they, uh, when you have cancer, they want to get clear margins. So when they are dissecting your foot, they try to see if there's any like residual cancer cells around. So my surgeon kept on cutting up to make sure there's no more cancer cells. They do like microscopic things as they're going through the surgery. So at that point he was like, okay, I don't see any other cancer cells around here. This is a good place to take off. Um, same thing with my lungs. There are like nodules in there. So they cut, they obviously don't want to cut just the nodule because you may have like lingering cancer cells around. So they cut a little bit more just to make sure they get or try to get everything. Obviously they can't see every microscopic cancer cell, 
but um, I was happy because a lot of people lose like their whole leg or they lose up to their hip. So I was like, I'll take a below the knee amputation. That sounds perfect to me. Yeah, no, yeah, you took it very well. It seems like I, I mean, it, it's it sounds like a very traumatic thing, but you 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 do play it off very well. I I, I do. Yeah, that, that's uh, only way I pat myself on the back. I took it for like I was like amputation, sure, no problem. Chemo, let's do it. I just want to be done. Like I want this cancer gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go. Do you have any more solid advice for anybody with emetophobia or just really anything you want to say before we head out? Um, I think um, if you can get into therapy, that would be good. Constantly challenge yourself and like know that if you're not like in the best place right now, like there is sort of like a light at the end of the tunnel type thing, but it, it does take work. I think you could attest to this. Like it's not as simple as like, okay, I don't want to be a metaphobe anymore. So I'll just keep on doing the same things I'm always doing. No, you have to make active changes towards something and like little things. I like don't think, okay, I am afraid of being, I'm afraid of throwing up today. I'm going to throw up tomorrow. No, don't do that. You know, these gradual hierarchical changes that you have to make every day. It's a challenge, but I think everyone on your podcast, all the people you had can attest to, we can have a metaphobia, but still live a, like a really great life and like still like, I, I don't know, we just have to, it's kind of like a new normal you find yourself in that that's, I kind of like related to like my cancer and like amputee journey. Like I can't change exactly my diagnosis or my amputation, but I can change the way that like my attitude towards it and how I deal with it and how I like um, accommodate it. So that's kind of how I kind of take my metaphobia. Like I can't exactly change it, but I can not let it stop me from doing what I want to do. That's yeah. kind of what I can give. As cheesy that's a as big one. Sounds, and I, I think that that's really important because it is a hundred percent about the reaction. Like I've learned that over yeah. the years, it's like, if you react negatively, then you're going to react negatively. And it's just, yeah. if you continuously do that over and over again, then everything in life's going to just be negative all the time. And that's, I've learned that the hard way where I used to do that myself. And then as I've switched my mindset more to it, just like, nah, fuck it. You know, it is what it is. Like, just move yeah. on. And we're going to keep going to the next thing. Cause like life goes on, whether you're sick or sad or happy or anything, like you're just going to keep moving. So it's just Absolutely. set a goal and get there one day, you know, and that's where I'm at. So. But it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Very nice meeting you. You too. Um, where can people find you at? Um, so on Instagram, I'm at Mismanaged Marissa. Um, and then I also have, if you're interested in my cancer journey, they can find me on Facebook at Marissa's Sarcoma Journey. I post like specifically cancer stuff. So if you want to get uh, either really happy or depressed, you can go on there. It just depends on what kind of scans I have that day. <laughs> Sure, sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll definitely hit you up for a part two sometime and come back on. We'll get yeah. an update on everything. So thank you okay. so much again for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast today. Marissa was an awesome guest. You can find her over on Instagram at mismanaged underscore Marissa. Again, her name is spelled M-A-R-I-S-A. She also has a Facebook page at Marissa's Sarcoma Journey over on Facebook. So make sure to go follow that page, check out her journey and everything else. If you want to find me, you can find me over on Instagram at The Emetophobia Podcast. There's a link tree there with all my links. Or you can find me on my email at theemetophobiapodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for all the support. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.